welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. another episode of the proper mental podcast and it's the first episode of 2022 so happy new year to everyone i hope you've had a good christmas i hope new year was okay we did it right we're out the other side so you know whether you like christmas and new year or not we've done it we're out the other side don't have to worry about it for a whole year so happy new year and i hope that this year is better than the last one i hope it's your best year yet the this intro might sound a little bit weird i I'm not using like a, a mic stand or anything because I've actually sat on a bed in a makeshift podcast studio in my folks' house. Me and the family have come down to Wales. We've come over for a few days over New Year. And I'm sat on a bed in this tiny little bedroom out the back of my um, folks' house where we've been staying. And it's the bedroom that my wife and I lived in a long time ago. Um, so I don't know, maybe... Maybe the time of year, maybe being back in this house, I'm feeling extra nostalgic. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit soft and I'm looking back, but I'm also looking forward. And And I just want to say while I'm in this sort of sentimental mindset, um, just a huge thank you. A huge thank you to, to everyone who's listened, everyone who's supported, everyone who's shared and reviewed and told a friend and recommended and just reached out and sent me messages. And it's just it's just been lovely. Um I had no idea what this was going to become and I still don't really know where it's going but it certainly snowballed a lot faster and a lot bigger than I ever could have um, ever could have expected and yeah it's just lovely to hear from people that it's connecting and that people are finding it useful and yeah it's just I'm really really touched by it I continue to be touched by it so thank you thank you thank you please know that it is um, very much appreciated and yeah, I'm just going to keep going. So another year, nothing really changes on the podcast front. I'm going to keep putting an episode out every Monday, sometimes on a Thursday. I've got a few other little pro- uh, projects bubbling along that I'm hoping to launch off the back of the podcast, but we'll see what happens with those. Um, I really hate it when people do that thing where they go like, oh, big news coming soon. And, you know, they really like hype it up and then it tends to be like something that's not that interesting at all so i'm not going to be all secretive but i have posted about um this man's group on the Wirral that i'm trying to launch and yeah just a few other little bits and bobs that i'm going to try and do but the main focus as always will be having open and honest conversations about mental health and mental illness and putting them out on a monday because january is a bit of a weird month right it's a long month everyone's skint there's still the christmas hangover you know you just want to get cracking on a new year and everything's just a bit slow to start and it's just a funny time in it January it's one of those months I'm like I swear it's six weeks long so I've tried to make sure the episodes that I'm putting out through January because they're all recorded January's in the bag that all of them are either incredibly positive or that focus on more elements of wellness rather than illness so with this episode, we got Antonio, whose story is really inspiring and his outlook is really, really, just really positive, you know, really, really positive. And he really got me thinking a little bit about how I frame my own experiences and 
yeah, I, sh- I think it's a really good one to put out at the start of the year because he's a very impressive guy. Um, and then coming up over the next few weeks, there's a nutrition episode, there's a sleep episode. You know, everyone I speak to is really, yeah, really, really positive and really focusing on looking forward and moving on and all these sorts of things. And I thought that would be a nice way to get us through January. And then by February, everything's a little bit lighter, a little bit warmer, and we can really sort of like get back into some of the uh, some of the more tricky tricky elements of the podcast but this is episode 54 and my guest for this episode is Antonio Ferreira who's a mental health activist a speaker and disruptor he's a lived experience consultant for several mental health charities and he uses his story of mental illness and recovery to change the misconception of mental health and break down stigma and Antonio just takes me through his story, really. He was um, diagnosed and hospitalised at a very young age. He was still a teenager. It was around about the time of his GCSEs, and he was in hospital for two years. So he kind of takes me through that process. And we chat a lot about what it's like to be hospitalised so young. You know, it tends to be tends to be something that's spoken more on, on older people, you know, certainly not teenagers. And just that experience of being in hospital and how that worked. And I really wanted to talk about that because there is a lot of stigma around spending time in hospital with mental illness we chat about that we chat about what it's like to come out you know you come out on the other side and you've got to it's like being reborn you know it's like being bambi on ice you've got to come back out into this big bad world and and pick up where you left off and we chat about that process we talk about his work as a lived experience consultant he works for a lot of charities he does loads of talking loads of speaking he's really active you know he's a really active campaigner so we talk about all that sort of stuff. We chat about EastEnders. He went and did some work with EastEnders. Um, he worked with the cast and the crew on a schizophrenia storyline, you know, to make sure that they were portraying that particular illness in the right way, which I think is fantastic because traditionally how mental health and mental illness is portrayed in the media hasn't been great, to say the least. So it's just great that people like our Antonio are, are guiding that as well. And we just get into it. We just get into it. We have a really lovely chat. He's a lovely bloke. Uh, the thing that stood out to me the most was his positivity. He is—he will not be defined by his diagnosis. And he just has this way of everything that's happened to him, everything he's doing, everything out there. He just has this way of flipping it on its head and finding a positive in it. And it was, yeah, it's really, really impressive. And it's really inspiring. And he's a great guy. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to know more about Antonio, he is Antonio Ferreira underscore MH on Instagram. And you can also go to his website. I've put a link to that in the episode notes. There's also a link to my website. There's also a link to my Instagram. There's a link to buy me a coffee where you can support the podcast financially. The best way to support the podcast is to subscribe, is to rate and review. But the best way to do it is to tell people about it so more people listening to it. Happy New Year once again. I sincerely wish you all the best for 2022. And thanks again for your support. This is episode 54 with Antonio Ferreira. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this evening is Antonio Ferreira. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, mate. I'm really, really good. Sort of quite chuffed we can make it happen because you seem to have a lot on. You're a busy dude, hey? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, as you, know, it's, as you said, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, sometimes I forget that I'm a student. That's how much is going on. 
<laughs> yeah, because that's on my list of stuff to ask you about as well, mate, because you're yeah, in amongst all the advocacy work and, you know, everything that you're doing for that is also your own your own studies. You're at uni at the moment, right? That's correct. Yeah. So I'm studying psychology with cognitive neuroscience at the University of Essex um, in my first year still. So take that for for leverage. But yeah, I mean, it, it is difficult juggling everything together and I'm pretty sure somewhere in a more open world my lecturers are probably swearing at me and telling me get back on it but um yeah you know it's just it's it is what it is to be honest it is what it is mate yeah yeah that's awesome so when I was um doing a bit of reading up on yourself mate in, in preparation for this and I've been aware of your work for for some time as well but the, the thing that really struck me straight off the bat was how young you were Antonio when um you know, when you started to experience problems with your mental health. Am I right in thinking you were about 15? Is that, is yeah, that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mate. So you would have been like high school at the time? Precisely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Going through my GCSEs, exactly. May that's, um, yeah, that's heavy. How did things start to, did you notice a decline? Was it, um, you know, was it gradual or was it a sort of explosion for want of a, a better term? It was... I guess when it was made aware very quick, it went from zero to 100, like really quickly. Um, but I mean, before that, it was, it was, it felt gradual, if that mm. makes sense. Like, you know, I was so to, to, to explain who noticed first where was my head of year, you know, he was the first person to pick up on a change on, of my in behavior in me. I was, I used to be a very committed, you know, in my books, no no um no no like I'd never even had gotten into a detention or anything like that it was like out, out of my group of friends I was that one person that everyone was like you know stop wasting your time on these things that you know are not good for you why don't you just focus on what you have you have a lot of potential stuff and so when people would say that I'd be like yep you know head down get to it get it done sort of thing there's a time and place for everything so my dad used to always teach me there is a time and place for everything so you know studying was time to study playing was time to play and so forth but then I started to become like really confrontational I received and I actually got my first um what we used to, what we what was called in our school isolation so you know went from having no detentions nothing to suddenly having my first isolation becoming very conversational and like I struggled to apologize when I was in the wrong and all these things and so my head of years of person who spoke to my parents and said you know maybe it'd be good to have Antonio be seen by these doctors and so my parents done so and then from there I was referred to child adolescent mental health service so in that space where I hadn't you know, yet reach child adolescent mental health service. It was a gradual thing. As soon as I hit child adolescent mental health service, it just blew up zero to one hundred. That's you know, it was exactly in my psychiatrist's room at, in the child adolescent mental health service where I first attempted to take my life and then ended up on section in the mental health ward. And so, yeah, I mean, there's two parts to that. Um, yeah, yeah. I think when it comes to like our own thoughts and our feelings and all the internal stuff. It's so, it can sometimes be, my wife once said about me, I experienced some like a lot of changes in my personality when I wasn't very well. And my wife once said to me, it's like, it's like putting on weight. So you get a bit bigger and you get, and you don't notice. And then one day you go, I'll oh, put loads of weight on. And then you go and buy like new trousers and they fit. So you don't realize you put loads of weight on. And sometimes they're like, 
over time we don't realize these smaller changes isn't it and it takes someone else to point out like hang on this is really uncharacteristic like is everything okay but you don't always realize yourself right that things are, are maybe slipping a little bit right I mean you're young like I was as you mentioned at 15 you know especially being from a black community I was very you know didn't have any knowledge of mental health and whenever I was asked about it, like, no, I'm, you know, I'm just a teenager. I'm just a young boy. This is how young boys are. That was the illusion, I guess, I had, you know, when I would deny my mental illness. It's like, no, I'm a young boy. This is what young teenagers are like. Um, and so that played a, 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 a that played a part in, you know, not being aware. Because when you don't know what's going on or understand what's going on in yourself, around you, wherever it may be, you're very reluctant, reluctant to pay attention to it, right? And a lot of people will say now, after going through that experience of mental illness, I'm very self-aware. Whenever I catch up with my doctors, it's like I can tell them what my triggers are, what works for me, what doesn't, because I've had that time to learn and study and just become in tune with myself to know, okay, you know, I understand what's going on here. Whereas in that stage where I was 15, no idea. Yeah, that self-awareness is such a powerful tool eh? as part of the recovery process. Yeah, so, so vital. So yeah. what what happened next? What age were you when you were sectioned, Antonio? 16. So, wow. yeah, going from 15 to 16 um, is when I was sectioned. Um, stayed in, I, stayed, I stayed in mental health for quite some time, for two years. Um, and, yeah, 18 came out, you know. So at this point, at this point, I had, I had, completed my high school so I'd gotten my GCSEs fortunately and I always like to clarify that actually <laughs> but then first year of college you know studying A-levels I thought I've gone past the hardest part which to my knowledge at the time was the, hard, the hardest part was that high school period where everything was become becoming such a, a, a problem and new to me however I quickly came to realize that it just got worse you know it wasn't getting better it wasn't like the way I tell people is I had this boulder on my back from high school right and each day it was it was getting bigger and I was getting close to the ground and once I had come out of high school you know you have that summer period and you're like yeah amazing you know you feel great but even that summer period was another illusion because it was suppression it was masking what was going on then when college had come back round again, that boulder came back 10 times bigger and I was an inch away from the ground and, you know, everything just became way too much again, but more than it was before. And so at the time, the only solution I saw was to not be in the world because it's, again, when you don't have that knowledge, especially this like with therapy and stuff like that, you don't see many solutions or you don't think of many solutions and you think that you know come being out of it all because you're out of it you can't you won't experience it you won't have to do nothing and that's you know not the way forward it like in a if you think of you know you you your hand is in fire and you take your hand out of the fire okay yeah you're not feeling the fire no more of course but when you take your hand out the fire, you still feel everything else apart from the fire. So it's not in the same perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, yeah you know, I just thought that, yeah, at that time thought that was a solution. As I mentioned before, I, I attempted to take my life in, in front of my psychiatrist and my brother in, the, in my service from there was taken 
put into mental health ward for two years till 18. Then at 18 came out and, you know, those two years gave me a lot of time to think and evaluate and just plan. Yeah, sure. And during that um, that time, that two years, are you able to leave at all? Or you, were you in there the entire time for two years? Yeah, no, you're, you're there. So not the entire two years, because towards the end, when, you know, your consultant can see can see that you're starting to do better and you're starting to manage what they what they try to do is get you into 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 get you to adjust to society so they give you uh three hour leaves or however long and then they might give you day leave so you can go home for the whole day and then they might start to give you overnight leave and um three day overnight leave a three nights um leave sorry and so forth coming up to the point where you you are now you know discharged back into the community so until that point it was all inside the mental health ward especially for the first part where you're where I was in section it was not just to the mental health ward but to the corridor you're in like you don't see anything past the corridor you're 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 in right and when you're in there do are you are this is this stuff happening to you know what's going on to help you get well you know are there things that you have to you know take part in and do and medication all that stuff i guess yeah yeah it's, it's there's a whole structure to it you know so from the best of my memory which isn't the best at all you have you know morning breakfast so 8 a.m breakfast then you'll go to maybe having some sort of group therapy we had art music sports um i think another one i can't remember but the type of another group therapy um then you would have lunch then you'd have another activity followed by your own one-to-one cbt and then going to dinner and then from then you have no time to have visitors or be or make calls then you have your own about an hour two hours free time then you have 10 o'clock which is bedtime and you know you all have to be in bed but it was there was there were a lot more rules to that so for example if you're on section as I said you can't leave that corridor so if one of the group therapies say for example sports therapy they're going cycling you automatically are excluded from that because you can't leave the building right Yeah. so so you have to you know find something else to do I mean that sounds a bit harsh but you they, you have to find something else to occupy your time and also with breakfast lunch and dinner you're not allowed to go down to the dining room so you you know food was first come first serve so you're automatically not first in that sense and you won't always get what you've asked for um and yeah you just can't eat with everyone you have you know they'll bring up the food to you and you have to eat in your own time and then like you you will have observations so first 24 hours or maybe 48 hours that you're in there you've got you're on two to one which is two people have to be side by side shoulder to shoulder to you anywhere and everywhere that you go no matter how limited you are even to that just that corridor if you're going to the kitchen if you're going to the com- to the communal room you have to be um you have to have two people by your side the only time two people aren't by your side is when you're in your room in your room though your doors aren't closed so your doors stay open people have to, and, they, and someone has to watch you through your door even throughout the night when you're sleeping constantly being observed um 
and medication yeah you know you had um you had um, med rounds morning afternoon and evening some people will be on medication morning afternoon and evening some people be on medication morning and evening some people be on medication just the morning um and yeah i mean the main thing is that they had at least they had that structure right like that yeah, really yeah. gave value to what a structure means in life and yeah you know you just eventually after spending so much time you learn to become used to the, the the routine and just learn to you know get by keep and do what you had to do to be honest yeah yeah did you feel yourself um getting better or coming back to yourself as the process as time went by was that something you were aware of like a change in yourself I think that came with self-realization that you know I wanted to come out so you know a lot of people go in there and they're quite hopeless don't care no more it is what it is like you just do what you want to do sort of thing but for me it was you know I actually want to come out of here I actually want to go on to do something. I actually want to get better. So it then became a matter of let me engage with the group therapies. Let me open up to my um, therapist. You know, let me be as as honest as I can with my consultant um, during ward rounds. All these things play the fact that just building relationships as well. Like the other patients there, without a shadow of doubt, were a big contributor to my recovery and getting out of there because as I like to say a lot of people when we think people can't pour out of an empty cup it's not so much an empty cup it's that sometimes we are just oblivious to what is being poured out of that cup because a lot of the patients would speak to me and they were going through their own struggles right some of them were there before me and still there after I left but they took time out to speak to me and be like you don't deserve to be here like you really need to go out and make a difference in the world like you've got so much potential go out there, focus on yourself, do what you need to do and, you know, and get better. And these are patients younger than me. I was probably the oldest at the time on that ward. Everyone else probably about the ages of 12 to 14 with really like, you know, traumatic stories, but they're still giving me that encouragement. And even when I, when I had left, I remember all of them were like, we don't want to see you back here again. So, you know, that's also where the, where the basis of my, advocacy advocacy came from yeah that's incredible that's so um wow that's just powerful right the people in that position are still it gives you so much faith in in humanity and in other people you know when people can be in that situation themselves and still be looking out for you as well man that's really um that's really lovely right and i always um i really appreciate you know you answering those questions about that that time but i just think when it comes to we talk about stigma in mental health and the more people i speak to the more i find that that stigma is just layered like it's not just a case of stigma and the stigma around being sectioned is is massive isn't it even the word itself people tend to not understand it people throw mm. it around a bit willy-nilly they don't understand the process so to get a, an insight into that i think is is really beneficial um how did you find people's other people's reaction to to you being sectioned was that something that um you know you were aware of when you came back out yeah I so in the moment of being sectioned it was it became yeah I was very aware of it actually because like, I used to be a very popular person in high school and college um and like when word got around as as it really as word does get wrong really quickly at that age anyway um a lot of the people who were my friends were no longer my friends and it was like I'd been shunned by them or forgotten by them and I was just this 
the crazy Antonio now and only had this handful of people who would come visit me you know and they wouldn't even like when I would ask about all these other people they would refuse to tell me because they'll just be like focus on yourself you know in that I knew what they were telling me it was like these people don't worry about them like they just they've nothing to add to your recovery so just forget about trying to want to know trying to be curious George you know just don't don't do that to yourself that's what they would tell me and yeah I knew it and even after I knew it as well but actually interestingly enough when I was open about it, so as I am now, so once I started to be open about it and doing stuff towards it, those people came back and, you know, started to share praise and sympathy and, like, you know, we didn't know the extent of it. And I think that just goes to show how much raising awareness and giving that knowledge plays a, fact, plays a factor because at a time when people didn't know all and just heard section, as you said, they only knew one thing. But as they learned to find out more, and really, you know, listen, that's when attitudes changed. And yeah. Yeah, it's like that whole knowledge is power thing, right? When people know what's actually going on and why things are happening, then it, you know, it helps them to understand and then it helps them to be more compassionate. And like you say, that's the power of, of awareness and the power of, of shining a, an, on a light on these things. Yeah. So how do you go to, you know, so you come out and you're still so young. How do you start? Like, that must be such a strange thing to be like, right, one day you're, you know, or you've gone through that process of, of getting ready to come out. And then all of a sudden you're out and you're Antonio and you've got to like, you know, what, what now? That must have been a quite an intense, intense chapter. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, a lot of people, if you ask them, like, who have been on, in the mental health world and come out, they most likely will tell you, yeah, you come out physically, but you're still there mentally for a good few moments you know you, like you don't just come out of there as quickly as you came out physically and that comes into as what some people sometimes call social anxiety you know so it wasn't easy um I remember like you know parties birthdays I struggled to attend um just any sort of social event gathering I struggled to attend and um, was really socially awkward conversations um very nervous anxious had a lot of catastrophic thinking and yeah you know these things yeah it didn't come easy didn't come overnight but again having spent that time and going through that experience one thing that I told myself is don't even ever use the words give up it's like you know you've been through the worst strive and keep going that's the main thing you know things eventually will get better things eventually will become natural and that's what I held on to you know I learned to not keep myself in my comfort zone I took myself out of my comfort zone but kept myself in a safe zone because that was the only way I was going to learn or you know come back to to reality and you know being socially confident um and so forth. Yes, a lot of it was still, as I challenged myself during, before, during, I had to also challenge myself after. Yeah, sure. I suppose it's like leaning into that discomfort, isn't it? You know, to, yeah, sometimes with these things, you have to, you have to prove your thoughts wrong, but do it with kindness, right? Mm. Do it gently, like you say, you know, not, um, not go too, um, 
yeah too far to prove to prove them wrong it's right. got a, a, an unusual parallel as well with like last year and the lockdowns and everything you described then is so what a lot of people are going through now isn't it now they're the world's going back to normal and they're coming back out into these social situations and they've just haven't had those interactions and it's really challenging for people eh? it's uh quite similar to some of the words you just used then uh, I'm, we're hearing a lot at the moment i think yeah yeah definitely and this you know this is what I always try to tell people and thought, I think what they've realized now during the lockdown is that when people are saying, oh, you know, I'm all right by myself, I can do it by myself, so forth, that's not loneliness because no one, no one seeks loneliness. No one is, no one is willingly put into loneliness. The loneliness is forced upon you and that's lockdown, that's prison, that's mental health wards. That is loneliness. Everything else that you're saying I can do by myself, I can get by by myself is your comfort zone. So it's very important, you know, to differentiate that your comfort zone is what you are calling. You can do it by by yourself, you know, introvertness and so forth but loneliness is not something we can just put ourselves into or seek it's forced on us and when you experience loneliness you don't want to be in you don't want to be lonely um and yeah you know even all of that all those experiences I've learned to appreciate communication learned to appreciate friends family the support people around me and you know you'll like I've said this so many times today now, I love to communicate. That's how much I've become accustomed to opening up, talking, you know, and just being honest about myself. Even it doesn't even have to be a conversation based on mental health, just a conversation. You know, I, I, I love the art of communication because it takes away the ability to assume first and foremost. I also love the art of communication because it gives you the ability to connect with people to relate with people you know and all these things are wonders of the world I believe because you know like my teachers in high school primary school college every single like report they'd write down Antonio talks too much he talks too much in class and so forth but look where talking has got me now you know it's making something that is deemed negative into a positive yeah completely yeah i love that yeah it's really cool and is that kind of like how your route into advocacy and campaigning is that all that started from your your desire and your um you know your ability to talk about these things because it's not easy to to talk about these when you first start talking about mental health um it's it's challenging right it's um it's it's hard to find the words it's hard to put yourself out there and that stigma doesn't takes a long time for it to to go so what were your first steps into kind of getting um, getting out there and doing the work that you do now? So my actual first step is, is pretty funny because it actually comes from trying to get my my lecturer off my back. Um, so being a psychology student, obviously, I so where I'm at now in my first year of studying psychology and neuroscience, right, at the University of Essex. But this is my third attempt at university because having come out of um, the mental health ward, I knew education is something I wanted to get back on, but I rushed into it. And so my first attempt at university, which was at the University of Hull, didn't go so well. And so I had to take time out to, you know, get myself back into just managing my my, my emotions and feelings. And as I said, being around people. And so fortunately, I was able to get back into it now and do so. But at the time I was at the University of Hull, I remember my lecturer would say to me, 
you need to go out and get extra experience. You know, you can't just rely on your degree, no matter if you get a first or two, one, you need to go out and get extra experience because, you know, psychology is a competitive world. You won't, you won't be able to just get into something with your degree. And she would say it all the time. I just thought, oh my God, you know what? Let me just go sign up for a charity, show you I've done something and leave me alone. And so I signed up to Mind, um, the local Mind. And in signing up to local mind, again, as I said, it was just, you know, something to show for, not to actually participate in. But they sent me an email asking to come give a talk at the University of Hull. And I was like, you know, as normal people do, no, of course not. I'm not going to do that. that. That wasn't part of the plan. But then again, as I said, the words give up were never going to be part of my vocabulary again. And so I thought, you know what, actually, let me go back and try again. So when I came back to London, having transferred to University of Essex, I signed up again and they asked me to come. I, I signed up to National Man. They asked me to come give a talk to their induction induction day. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'll give it a go. Why not? I went and I, this was the first time I ever told my story or spoke of my mental illness so openly. And like, I think I remember this day I went in a suit because I just, you know, wanted to feel good saying it. So I can't remember, but I think, yeah, I went in a suit. I wanted to feel good saying it. Um, and yeah, I got, I got up in front of everyone and, you know, where people think in talking now, I'm quite confident. If you saw me then, you would never believe that was me because I was sweating. I was trembling. I, you know, was doing all this. I, you know, wasn't managing well in terms of body language, but because all I was doing was telling my story, it wasn't like I was selling anything. It wasn't like I was trying to get you to agree to something or, you know, sign a contract. I just knew I had to just relive what had, what had happened in words to everyone else. And so I'd done that. And at the end, you know, everyone's face lit up and everyone was just like so engrossed and people were clapping and, and so forth. And I was looking at like, what's going on? Like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. And then, you know, the facilitators came up to me and said, you have got a really powerful story and you tell it so well, you need to pursue this because you could help a lot of people struggling. And I thought, oh, that's nice, you know, I only did this because of my lecture, but all right, I could get used to this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I went up and signed up to another charity, Time to Change, and they had, because they had a speaking out workshop. And so I thought, let me refine my skills in this workshop because, you know, that's the way forward went to the workshop and told my story again and it was the same reception and then this was the light bulb moment I was like maybe there's something here for me you know maybe there's something here I actually need to follow through with so thank you to my lecturer now I'm going to really you know pursue this and so yeah I then you know saw opportunity to be a media volunteer and again coming out of mental health wards making not giving up an option to me I thought as well take all your chances take all your opportunities sometimes just do it because why not right and so I just said yeah I'll sign up and I took part in my first um, media campaign see the bigger picture times change then from there went on to um, talk about live on BBC three counties radio from there then signed up as a media volunteer for National Mind coming up to where I am now you know having been involved with multiple um, charities and organizations, multiple media opportunities, campaigns, projects. And, you know, it never leaves my mind where I said, this will be for everyone else that was in that mental health world with me, pushing me to do better. Because I hope in all this that I do, 
it will leave some sort of guidance for everyone else that precedes me, you know, to be able to manage and just look and think, Antonio done it, so I can definitely do it, you know. It's, yeah, it's that. Yeah, that's lovely. And I think so many people, you know, you're doing it for the people that you knew on the ward, but I think so many people, like, in general, see that and get that same thing. You know, I think relatability is is huge isn't it and when we hear people talking in you know people we can relate to people that you know use the words that we use or look like us or come from where we come from you know that's that's so much so powerful isn't it and that can really help people to feel when you're not very well it's lonely and having someone else kind of voice that really can make you feel less alone and I think that's a really powerful thing as well eh Right, yeah, no, it's, it's true. Because even when I was in the mental health ward, I never ever saw someone, you know, young, black, going through something and making it positive or, you know, just trying to shed a light on them be, or be a beacon of light. Um, and so, yeah, I, as you said, I felt very lonely in my diagnosis, very lonely in my journey, very lonely in my illness. And yeah, you know, it's it's like, all of that all put together it was that was the the I guess the match that lit up the flame to doing everything that I'm doing you know it was just I found my purpose and I found my value and I just went with it you know I just took it and I, I ran with it but I also gave myself boundaries you know like I know I, I I give myself the illustration of the hare and the tortoise you know it was the tortoise that won the race so I always remind myself to be patient be humble and take my time with each day and don't get complacent you know there is no there is no finish line really there is no you know n- no comparison competing with anyone because these this is not you know who can be the best mental health advocate it's how many people can take from what I'm doing and use it to, you know, take the opportunity and run with it themselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I recently recorded an episode um, chatting to a guy called Chris Hemmings and we were talking about like the sphere of influence, you know, and he said everybody has that sphere and some people's sphere is smaller and some people's is, is bigger, but everyone has that sphere of influence around them and it's just about doing what you can in your own sphere, isn't it? And that's what that's what connects us to other people. And that's what, what gets the the word out. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I wanted to chat to you a little bit as well about the diagnosis of um, schizophrenia, because it's another word. It's another word with a lot of stigma attached to it, but what were your symptoms within that diagnosis? How did that start to manifest, you know, the thoughts and the feelings that came with that? Yes. So I've, 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 to be more specific, I've got, undifferentiated schizophrenia so schizophrenia has various subcategories various various i think it actually has four or five don't quote me on that but somewhere around that you know you, you have paranoid schizophrenia catastrophic schizophrenia and some other ones where those specific symptoms are more prominent for me mine was undifferentiated because it wouldn't put it wouldn't be placed into one of those categories it had all of each um together and so you know i had i had the paranoia I had the catastrophic thinking, I had the auditory hallucinations, I had the delusions, you know, thinking that people were out to get me and no one had their best interest at heart for me. Um, And 
that black or white thinking there was no gray area and you know that people were always talking about me or looking at me and that the voices would tell me I had to do something about it and if I didn't do something about it it touched on my insecurities and make me feel bad um then I'd isolate myself become really low mood have suicidal thoughts and yeah all of that together were the the symptoms um and you know physical things came from it as well because I also suffered from uh, pseudo seizures because of the stress of it all um and those pseudo seizures actually I had I had olfactory um, hallucinations so I would smell things that weren't there um and yeah like I used to I I also had uh, migraines you know so all these things were going on um for me all at once and together but yeah those are the symptoms but I guess again just as you know as a person who likes to focus on hope those things I try to focus less on and just focus on you know what I'm still here I'm still breathing I'm still gonna go with what I can you know like I think as a human as humans we tend to focus a lot on what we lack and what is going wrong rather than focusing on what we have in abundance and what is and what is going right for us yeah I love that mate yeah that's so um because we do don't we you know we'll dwell on a bad day or a bad comment on Instagram we'll dwell on that for for hours and days and then not pat ourselves on the back when something lovely happens we move through it so quick yeah that's an excellent point and we was that I don't want to keep dwelling on the symptoms, but I want to try and get us to EastEnders yeah. because it was kind of uh, you um, assisted EastEnders, right? With making sure that they were portraying schizophrenia on screen correctly. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that was part of Mind's media service. Uh, yeah. As you said, the, you know, EastEnders wanted to do this schizophrenia storyline, but they wanted Mind's support and making sure that, they portrayed it accurately rather than sensationalized it. And so, you know, yeah, I got the opportunity to share my story with the executive director, executive producer, director, actors, writers, and researchers, um, and then also go on set and consult in, um, live on set while they were doing in certain, certain scenes. So, yeah, that was, you know, a big, I guess, testimony to the journey, to how much progress you made and how much opportunities have come from something that's meant to be an illness so that was really good and just like where being open and talking can get you um yeah it was an amazing experience yeah was that satisfying to see the the end product like what they came up with based on talking to you did you see you know did you see that footage and think yeah they've they've got that they you know that makes sense to me yeah yeah 100 percent. you know and even to see other people praise it as well and comment you know that this was done really well you know I, I of course there were people who didn't feel the same right but in the world that we live not everyone is going to be happy and that's fine like you know I we accept that but again as I said we focus on the positive rather than the negative and so yeah I was really inspired encouraged to see that because as I said you know when I was in the mental health ward didn't see nothing like myself portrayed with mental illness and and hope and so to see that and then think maybe in the future someone will remember that storyline and they'll use that as their recovery method is amazing and 
yeah, as I said, a testimony to the journey, testimony to how far we've come. And the one scene I was, I've always said that really, you know, touched me was the scene where Lola was um, saying, you know, what do you think people with schizophrenia don't deserve love? Actually, a lot of them are less likely to hurt others and more likely to hurt themselves. And I remember, I remember saying to, to the to the executive producer and on the workshop, he asked me, is there any misconceptions that you want us to focus on? I said, yeah, the part that schizophrenics are violent to other people, we're more likely to be violent to ourselves. And so, yeah, that was just amazing to see. And yeah. Yeah, that's really cool, man. Really cool. Because I think like how all different types of mental illness, how they're portrayed in the, in the media is usually so... I don't know. It's kind of, it's either very dramatic or it just kind of feels like it's there as a way to, you know, almost fill out a plot line or, you know, fill mm. a gap in the story, you know, so to yeah. have that, that focus and really shine a light on it. That's, um, that's absolutely, uh, absolutely wonderful, mate. Yeah. And the other thing I really wanted to ask you about is the, um, the petition that you've got going on at the moment, mate. Yes. Yeah. Cause I think that's really, um, really important that we, uh, that we talk about that. Could you just, um, yeah, just kind of like fill us in on what's going on with that at the moment and, wh- and where you're at with it. Yeah, and you know what? Thank you for bringing that up and just, yeah, giving the room to speak about it. As you said, I, it is something really important to myself and, I, and I th- I'd think to everyone else too. Um, just to give a, a brief um, description in case anyone is not aware, that my petition is calling out senior leaders to take genuine accountability for their anti-racist promises. Um, senior leaders of mental health charities because you know since everything to do with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement it's I've I've been ex- experienced to be used in a tokenistic way with certain charities I've, I've been with and just seen that a lot of anti-racist promises have been buzzwords rather than meaningful action and so in doing this call out I you know it, it again important to understand that I didn't do this to you know shame senior leaders I did this to realize the importance of collaborating with people from underrepresented communities people with lived experience because you simply can't get into my shoes without first coming out of yours and so that's the main thing what I was saying you know and we shouldn't be working this change from downwards upwards it should be coming from upwards downwards that's how we change systemic racism and eradicate tokenism and so I was really doing it out of obviously my as I said personal experience with tokenism um, and racism within charities but not to be as I said I don't like to focus on the negatives I like to focus on the positive so I did it to, to just you know bring awareness to senior leaders that there should really be more done and this is the way it should be done you know by focusing to work on to work with um, lived experience individuals from underrepresented communities um, and you know rightfully so all senior leaders were aware of it but it was just like somewhere unsure like where do we go how do we do it and how do we actually make it look like we mean it so it was for them a, a very timely thing you know because it was it was always on their mind there was always something they wanted to do but just didn't know how or what would be the right way and so progress update I've been able to meet with various um, senior leaders um, commit to collaborating with them on a, a mental health anti-racism coalition and also just being a support to how they can do better right um, and just redefining what a volunteer means as well because 
in a sense, I feel Volunteer has been abused the title. The title has been abused because, you know, when you like, what's the consultant? You get a consultant to, to gain their expertise and knowledge to do, to improve as, a, as an organization. How, but we're asking consultancy work of volunteers, which doesn't add up. And that's why I said we need to redefine what volunteers mean, because if you're asking for expertise and knowledge and lived experience, that should be valued as a consultant would, because you're asking them for the same thing, right? And, we're, and what we're trying to do here is just abuse the word volunteer because they're automatically volunteer. But no, a volunteer willingly gives you their time to support campaigns, like by doing blogs or fundraising, when it comes into what is actually consultancy work, that should be appreciated as consultancy work. That was another thing. But yeah, as I said, I've been off there. Is yeah, I've had the opportunity to meet with various senior leaders for mental health charities in constant communication with them. And yeah, we you know we're just working towards building, developing this coalition that works to hold senior leaders to account so that they can really strive towards being an anti-racist organization. Um, and eradicate tokenism and also just create a new element of consultants consultancy for charities you know progressing their um, EDI department and so forth and not using volunteers for that um, incorrectly um, sorry Um, and yeah you know it's really should be really should make it clear that these I admire all the senior leaders commitment or willingness to even have met with me, spoke with me and accept my call. And they have done so. So that's really great. And, you know, now it's just about putting things in place to, as I said, give guidance to those that precede us so that they can have, a, 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 I guess, a, a less stressful time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think like it's, yeah, like you say, I think a lot of people want to start having the conversation, want to do things differently in regards to race but sometimes people are scared to get it wrong say the wrong thing and that causes inaction you know that fear just um, stops them but what I loved about it mate was the way that you went about it was just so someone said to me recently um, in a conversation about something else they said we shouldn't be calling people out we should be calling people in and that kind of feels exactly what you did you know you like very um just open the channels and said come on let's just let's just do better we can do better let's just let's just do it together and I think like that was just a a really wonderful approach because it it is easy with these things that are important and that there's so much emotion involved in these conversations it is easy isn't it for these things to spiral really really quickly and um but just to have that cool calm way of um you know like your 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 positivity is like really infectious and so many times like you've talked about hope you've talked about positivity and focusing on those things and i think going into that big conversation like that with that you know with your outlook in the middle of everything i think that's really really powerful that's surely compassion isn't it and understanding each other that's how we change the world right we don't we don't do it by force yeah 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 that's you're wicked, right man. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, entirely right. It's, you know, I, I have one rule and it's two is always better than one. And so that's why, you know, as you said, I was, while it, and I like how you put it actually, while it was a call out, there was also the call in to let's just work together towards it because I understand that, you know, you might not be doing it on purpose, but just can't see from our lens how it is. And so, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no change in me pointing the finger at you or, you know, giving you the stick, but there is change in me really putting my foot through the door and 
grabbing your hand to say, let's go, let's do this, you know, let's go and do this together. There is no more sitting around wondering, what do we do? It's, I'm here, let's go, let's do it. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, just to kind of take us home, mate, what's what's next for you? What you Have you got anything, uh, is it just continuing with, like, spreading the words and studying hard and doing all the, spinning all these plates that you're spinning mate or uh... I'm, I'm gonna force myself to say definitely studying hard in case any of my lectures hear this <laughs> so yeah definitely studying hard but yeah no I mean again focusing on the campaign is one of the main things to me you know the tokenism work moving beyond tokenism sorry and just as well a lot of media opportunities as well um, there's a lot of things that I've been working with um, in the in the back with people um to get off the ground and started but as you said trying to juggle everything I know as well to not put so much pressure on myself so I've been taking some time from other things and just as I said focusing on a campaign for now studying hard and everything else will come eventually and you know yeah some really good things for the new year um but we were the tortoise in this race so we take That's our time it. yeah yeah are you quite good at looking after yourself in amongst all this because it's like sometimes if i'm doing a lot of talking i'm recording i'm on other people's podcasts and sometimes mm. i'm just i have to say right that's it now i'm done i need i'm not talking anymore i just i'm, I'm done <laughs> right i need yeah, a, yeah need a rest are you quite good at kind of um you know have you found that through over the years you know found that that path for you yeah i mean it's, it's pretty self-explanatory right if i want all this change to come across i've got to be well and so I, it's you know first thing on my mind and you know I have enough people around me to remind me to take a break and look after my mental health so it's I'll, yeah it's inevitable that I do but also as I said you know the art of communication that plays a big factor in keeping myself well you know being when I say art of communication I mean even from the, sh- the point of being able to say to people I've had enough for today yeah. that is art of communication so yeah yeah and communicating with you with yourself as well yeah exactly mate. exactly yeah. oh mate it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you mate it's been lovely to meet you and um yeah i can't thank you enough for your time man that was awesome thank you so much no worries thank you for having me it was a great conversation oh, proper mental podcast please like and subscribe the space time